Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. This episode is a rebroadcast of The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, what is compassion fatigue and what happens when you feel fatigued helping people? And then we're joined by Dr. Christopher Yuan. He is the author of Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Hope you're having a great day. Aubrey, you and I, as we say, we're both pastors, but this isn't even something just for pastors, I think. We're, I think we're learning what are the things that are going to be hard coming out of COVID. Mm. So uh, for some people, coming back just into community and yeah. Uh, coming back in and and being around people mm-hmm. is going to be difficult. We've had that conversation. For some, being kind to people who don't think the way they do is going to be difficult. What Definitely. you're still wearing a mask? Yeah. What are you doing? Or yeah. what you know that kind of thing is going to be difficult. Uh, but here's an interesting article that was up at Christianity Today. It has to do with something called compassion fatigue. This was written by Daniel Harrell. Uh, Daniel is the uh, editor and ch- editor in chief at Christianity Today. He's been a pastor for many years as well. The article is titled this, When We Don't Care Enough to Care, As We Love and Comfort Others, The Comforter Gives Strength for Our Weariness and Our Wariness Too. So it's this idea here. That over the last year, so many people have been hurting, so many people yeah. have been struggling that sometimes it's just really hard to care anymore. Right. I resonate with this. Yeah. Sometimes as a pastor, but also just a person. Just a person. There are times I'm like, I don't want to care about their struggle. Yeah. Even, uh, am I allowed to say this? No one's listening to this. Sometimes even about family members. Right. Distant family, you know, yeah. kind of that circle. Friends. It's This isn't just about that hard person in your church who's constantly kind of asking you for something Uh, that's part of this. But even people close to you where you're like, you know what? I've got all I can to handle right now. I'm just tired. I just want to get back into life. Like, do you feel this sometimes? Just I don't don't care enough to care. I feel this more than I want to admit. Like, I just feel like, I look, I am giving what I can. I am emotionally drained. I don't also have time or maybe time is not the right word energy yes it's an energy to to care (laughs) or you know i feel a little bit numb and then of course i feel terrible about that because that doesn't feel like the heart of god that doesn't feel like intentional shepherding it just feels like laziness but the reality is is there is truth to this idea of compassion fatigue one of the things he says in the article is this that this really stuck with me while pastoral care can coax out the messiah complex in us it can also create irritation 
Pastoral care often comes as a disruption. The phone predictably dings in those moments when we feel least available with sermons to prepare, Bible studies to lead, staff to coach, programs to organize, and emails to answer. Must I stop all that I need to do to go to the hospital and pray? Can I not intercede from my desk? (laughs) And then he puts in parentheses, I feel guilty even typing this. But I think it's a very honest word. Yes, yes. And we all feel that at times. Like as a pastor... It is true. Those calls come at the weirdest times. And those, uh, those, hey, Pastor, could I, and there's, he talks in here about the need for boundaries. So just because somebody asks to meet with you doesn't mean you have to meet yeah, with them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, just because somebody wants to have a phone call with you at this moment, you can say, hey, can we talk tomorrow or later today? I've got more time. Uh, and so there is something to be said about, like, I need, I need to care. I need to have some boundaries. Yeah. Otherwise, it will be. But there is something to being a pastor about going to the hospital yep. and praying with those persons yep. or visiting that person yep. and having coffee or meeting uh, with the yeah. person who's going, hey, I'm just struggling in life. Mm-hmm. And and I think the weird part is I think most of us pastors got into being pastors because of that. Like, Absolutely. We wanted to. We didn't. I didn't go. I want to be a pastor because I want to preach every week. Right. Or I want to do. It's fun. Right. But it was, I, I, I'm about people. I want to be I with people. I want to shepherd. I want to do this. Yeah. But man, can it be tiring yeah. at times. And so, uh, and especially when you're, you're, you're running on an empty tank yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be the key, a little bit of what he talks about here. When you're empty, it's really hard to, to serve others and shepherd others out of that emptiness. And a lot of us are coming out of COVID feeling empty. Right. And so when my kids ask for something, I'm like, oh, another yes. thing. When you know, when the random person at the church is like, can I talk to you about something? I'm like, who's going to talk to me? Like, what right. do I get to talk <laughs> right. to somebody? <laughs> right. It's so true. And, and don't you think, therefore, the answer does become, uh, you've got to do some self-care here. Yeah. Uh, if you're feeling this sort of fatigue and, and go, what's going to fill me up so that I can pour myself out for others? That's what I, that's what ultimately I feel like has to be the answer is that, is that you can't pour out of what's empty. And so you do have to find those things that fill up your soul and feel life-giving so that you have that full tank to pour out to other people and then refill yourself. And I mean, I think that's different for everyone. That might be like a hike in the woods. That might be daily quiet time. That might be a retreat. That might be time with your really, really close friends, a concert, a game. I don't know what it is, but having that be a consistent part of your life. And then the other thing is, I, I just thinking for myself, I tend to schedule every moment of my day. Like mm-hmm. I, like I'm, you know, before the show, I'm taking my kids to school. Then from there, I'm coming home and I'm exercising. And then from there, I'm doing X, Y, Z. And just like every moment, okay, I'm, I have to have this one phone call on the way to the next place. And then, that's right. And so I do think that's my own fault. But we also have to have margin. So when people yes. call us, we're not like so overwhelmed with our schedule that we can't actually be with them. It's almost like you have to just create blank space in your day that the Lord can fill up with the people you need to care for. That's something I need to work on anyway. But it's hard. I mean, this isn't uh, to to complain or to, it's not just about our lives, but you and I have two very time consuming jobs and we're parents and we're, and so it is a juggling act. And Mm -hmm. we've been doing this show for two years. I have been, uh, there are many times where I just feel empty and you're just like, and I don't mean that as in like, I just mean like literally emotionally (laughs) empty. Like, Oh, I'm tired. Tired might be a better word. Yeah. And that's a really hard way to not just pastor, but to parent, mm-hmm. to to be a husband, mm-hmm. to be whatever. And so I think margin, 
becomes really important. Boundaries become really important. Recharging your soul becomes really important. And this fatigue becomes more of a warning sign, like on your car. It's more of a warning sign going, hey, something's wrong. It's not like, okay, I just got to power. Sometimes you have to power through it, but that's not always the answer. Daniel Harrell goes on to say, as pastoral caregivers, we do so as sinners in need of the same grace. Mm. We are not the Lord, but we have access to his spirit, the ultimate comforter who will help and be with us forever. I think that's good. Let's be really biblical about this. Are you and I as pastors or pastors out there or just random Christ follower out there? One of the questions becomes, am I connected to the vine? That's what I was thinking. Are are we abiding? Yes. Yeah. It's a and, great question. And we can make a lot of excuses for not abiding. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm busy. I got multiple jobs. I got to do this. I got to do that. And it can take away. So compassion, fatigue, fatigue. What happens when you don't care enough to care? I think that's going to be a really big topic here as we kind of come out yep. of uh, out of COVID. Well, we're thrilled to be joined next by Dr. Christopher Yuan. He is the author of Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Sex, Desire, and Relationships Shaped by God's Grand Story. If you've never heard Christopher's story, you've got to stay with us uh, and hear what he's got to say. We're going to do that next here on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Uh, We are thrilled to be joined by Dr. Christopher Yuan. He is the author of Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. Uh, Speaks all over the place. Used to be a professor and used to teach Bible over at Moody Bible Institute. Chris, how are you? Thanks for calling us today. Oh, thanks for having me on, Brian and Aubrey. It's a blessing. Oh, it's absolutely our pleasure. We're real excited to talk with you. Hey, but before we get into your book and, and all kind of how it, it speaks so well into all that's going on in our culture right now, what we'd love for you to do is just introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, wrestled with my sexuality. From a young age, I opened up about it and shared it with my parents. Um, I'm originally from Chicago, nice. moved to Louisville, Kentucky to uh, pursue my doctorate in dentistry, and I came out to my parents, and you know, it's so amazing how God uses things. God uses crisis to, and brought them to faith. Wow. Well, I mean, being an unbeliever, I wanted nothing to do with Christianity and the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I was just living in the world, doing what everyone else was doing. Uh, not that all gay men party and do drugs, mm-hmm. but I, I did. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, I even started doing drugs while I was a graduate student pursuing my doctorate. And eventually I was expelled from school, mm. moved from Louisville to Atlanta. And my parents just, they just prayed for a miracle. And, you know, they weren't, they weren't you know, as, as people often try to characterize Christian parents that they wanted to pray away the gay. Not at all. They just knew that I needed to know Jesus. My, wow. that, my biggest sin was unbelief. Wow. They prayed for a miracle. They reach out to me. They can do this one time. And this is, oh, oh, I was just, I was just a, just a <laughs> rebellious little kid back then. I mean, in my twenties and I kicked them out, uh, after they mm. came to visit me. Um, and they weren't preaching at me. That's, that's the funny thing. They just, mm. We're radiating Jesus. And, you know, we hear, you know, Brian and Aubrey, the, the, the storyline today that Christian parents who actually believe in the Bible cannot, are not able to love their gay children. Mm. They have to actually get rid of all that 
old ancient traditional teaching and uh, you know become progressive to love their gay children well mm. i had the exact opposite experience my parents weren't christian they 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 rejected me and it wasn't until they became followers of christ that they knew that they could do nothing other than to love wow. me as god loved them while they were still sinners right from romans 5 wow so uh, my dad, before he left, gave me his Bible. I'm like, I don't want your Bible. <laughs> he left it there and uh, walked out. And, you know, as soon as they left, I took my dad's Bible and I threw it in the trash can. Mm. That's how much I despised Christianity and the Bible. Mm. And it's so obvious my, uh, that my, it was just unreachable. And my parents prayed for a miracle. Um, my mother began to pray really bold prayer. And, you know, as any mother can know, this is a scary prayer. God, do whatever it takes mm. to bring this prodigal son to you. She fasted every Monday wow. for seven years, enlisted over a hundred prayer warriors. Mm. Wow. And she, once she fasted 39 days on my behalf. Wow. Because she knew that it was going to take a miracle. Yeah. So this miracle came to bang on my door, you know. <laughs> On my doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta <gasps> police, and two big German shepherd dogs. Oh my. So I found myself in jail, a place I never thought I would be. You know, mm. when you're on drugs, you don't think clearly. Mm. And I just, you know, I've, I, I didn't think I was ever going to end there. I called home expecting an earful. Yeah. And my mother's first words were, are you okay? Mm. No condemnation, just words of unconditional love and grace. Wow. Wow. So I was like, man, things can't get any worse. Well, they did. A couple of weeks later, I was called into the nurse's office, and I was laying in a bunk. I just, I'm like, I've just destroyed my life. Mm. I look up at the metal bunk above me, and there was something scribbled, and it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah Twenty nine eleven. Come on. <laughs> for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. And yet, mm. Aubrey Bryant, I mean, there could have been any verse right. on that, that. But God knew the exact verse that I needed to hear at that exact moment. Amazing. To tell me that regardless of... You know, this was written years ago by a prophet to a rebellious nation, Israel, to tell me that God still had a plan for me. Oh, that's now, a great story. So powerful. Yeah, I didn't know where that plan was going to take me, but yeah. God just gave me enough faith just to get through one day at a time. Well, God kept bringing, you know, there's just, he was convicting me of my sin, yeah. and God was bringing to mind all these items I had in my life, obviously drugs, but within a few months, he delivered me from that addiction. Wow. He kept bringing to mind other idols, and you know, there was this one thing that I felt like I just couldn't let go of, my sexuality. That mm. was the elephant in the room, or in the mm. Yeah. And, and I just, I was like, so, you know, I'm a brand new Christian. I'm like, I need to ask someone. So I went to the chaplain prison chaplain, because I wasn't open about my sexuality. I was like, I, I heard what happens to guys like me. So I was like, mm. I wasn't going to tell anyone, but I, I shared with a chaplain, you know, thinking he could be, you know, someone I could trust. And you know what he told me? He said, the Bible does not condemn homosexuality. Mm. He gave me a book. And I'm thinking, great. 
Awesome. <laughs> have my cake and eat it too. Right. Like, don't we want our, you know, we, who needs to change? If I can have God, my life, everything else. So I took that book, yet I had the Bible in my other hand. Mm. But, you know, I know now that it was God's indwelling Holy Spirit yeah. that convicted me. I couldn't finish the book. So I gave it back to the chaplain. And I turned to the Bible alone. I went through every verse, every chapter. I went cover to cover several times. That was a turning point. Oh, that's such a, Chris, we're so grateful for you to tell your story, and we're excited that you're going to stay with us here after the break again. Uh, Christopher Yuan, he is the author of the book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Sex, Desire, and Relationships Shaped by God's Grand Story. You can learn more at ChristopherYuan.com. That's Y-U-A-N. We hear the word identity a lot these days in our culture, and in your book, uh, you talk about identity, and you relate identity with another important theological term. Can you can you talk about the importance of identity and, and what our identity needs to be as Christians? Yeah, you know, right now, you know, when we hear in our culture what's what people are, especially those who identify as LGBTQ plus or are advocates or allies, I, I think the the big um, the error that that's being made is not simply that they don't understand that this is sinful behavior, but in addition, it's an error of identity. It's a mistaken identity, and mm-hmm. I think it's really important for Christians to understand this, because when we engage with others on the issue of sexuality and or gender, we're trying to communicate to our friends and our loved ones, our neighbors, our co-workers, uh, that the behavior is not pleasing to God, but it's going, it's falling upon deaf ears, and it's mainly because of this issue of identity, and, and, and how do I know this? Because I've been there myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I never viewed what uh, my sexuality as something that I simply did, mm. or it was even simply what I felt or was my attractions, even though they were they're, they're unchosen and strong. I think the, the missing issue for Christians for us to realize is it's a conflation of sexuality with personhood. In other words, if you have a friend or loved one who's, who identifies as gay or lesbian or, or transgender, and you talk to them and ask them, you know, what, you know, when you say I'm gay or I'm trans, etc., what do you mean? Mm-hmm. They will not say, this is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You'll never hear them say that. You'll never hear that on on any other, you know, news, uh, secular news stations or magazines or TV, what they'll say is, this is who I am. And so sexuality is not who I am, it's how I am. It's Mm -hmm. how we all are. And and this is, I'm not even talking about the term gay either. I think as Christians, we should lose these terms to identify uh, uh, who we are. So Mm -hmm. even if Christians, you know, they say, I'm a straight Christian, no. You're a Christian. Now, you might have obvious attractions, you might have same-sex attractions, but never, ever should we make our attractions, our feelings, even our thoughts, who we are. It's what we think, it's what we feel, it might be what we do, 
but it's not who we are. So that's really important. And so, yeah. and Brian, you were saying, you know, well, there's this big theological term, and, and this term is gets to, well, who are we? And, yeah. and so this term is theological anthropology, which sounds fancy, but it simply means it's a study of humanity through God's eyes, and that means, or through, you know, through God's Word, and two things. One, every human being is created in the image of God. You yeah. know, that Latin phrase, imago Dei. But that's not how the story ends. Of course, because, um, because of Genesis chapter 3 of the fall, Adam and Eve, we're all fallen, yeah. which means every human being also has a sin nature. Now, of course, that sin nature is not ultimately who we are. It distorts our human nature. But at the core, we're all created in God's image, mm -hmm. which means we all, every human being, has dignity, respect, and value. And in our day today, with all you know, all this emphasis on on social justice, I think as Christians we need to realize we actually have the true reason why we need to fight for uh, the dignity and the respect and value of human beings. Not because we're good, or not because you know we, we value people simply because of our you know our desire to fight for justice. It's because every human being is created in the image of God. That's right. mm. And because we're fallen as well, that also means every human being needs Christ. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so when mm -hmm. people try to say, oh, do you think gays and lesbians are, you know, going to hell or whatever, I said, well, ultimately, I think we've all fallen short. I mean, that's mm -hmm. right from God's Word. Every human being uh, has fallen short, and therefore every human being needs Christ. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Um, Christopher, your book is, again, titled Holy Sexuality in the Gospel. Can you explain in a little bit more detail this term, holy sexuality, and uh, how'd you come up with it? What does it mean? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's probably listeners who haven't heard of this before. It's a new phrase, but it's not a new concept. It's mm -hmm. essentially putting words to an existing concept that God has revealed to us in His Word, and really has been pretty much unanimously accepted by the Church for the past several millennia, and even in Jewish tradition, uh, in the Old Testament. There's only until recently, you know, when all of a sudden we've become enlightened human beings, that then we, you know, believe that there's been some, some change. But it really comes down to this, and, and it birthed out of kind of my struggle with I felt like the only options which we had when it comes to sexuality, which would be heterosexuality, homosexuality, bisexuality, or maybe a spectrum, you know, in between mm -hmm. there. Yeah. And, and, you know, as I read God's Word, God's Word, it was clear to me, same-sex relationships is not part of God's will. Uh, the desires are also, um, you know, it's, it's the wrong end, and so that also is not God's will. The temptation, though it might not be actual sin, it's rooted in the fall. Mm. So, so these things, you know, it's it, it's not His will. So then, does that then mean heterosexuality is God's will? Well, reading the Bible, you'll see many, many times that Scripture condemns heterosexual sin, and mm. so when yeah. Christians elevate heterosexuality without any 
you know, clear definition or demarcation, we could actually be endorsing sinful behavior when we're making these broad statements. So heterosexuality, it's too broad. It's the correct direction, but, but we have to be very specific and precise. Yeah. And that's yeah. where I came up with this phrase to define something that is already in Scripture. There's only two paths that God lays out for us. When we are single, be sexually abstinent. Or, when you are married, and I'm only using the definition from Scripture that Jesus specifically reiterates in Matthew chapter 19 and Mark Mark chapter 10, marriage between one man and one woman, that uh, when you are married, be faithful to your spouse or the opposite sex. So here's really just a very concise definition of holy sexuality, chastity in singleness or faithfulness in marriage. Mm -hmm. And so that then makes makes us realize... This is not some unique, particular, strange sin or struggle. It's really something that it points, for one, to our human need for Christ, and also as the, our, our Christian's calling for every Christian to pursue holiness. Mm, and sometimes great. when people kind of want to elevate uh, my struggle as something very particular and special, I think that kind of distort, distorts what sanctification means for all Christians. That mm. Every Christian, we need to die to self, and every Christian, we yes. need to rely on the yeah. grace that God gives to us right. freely. Yeah, and Christopher, like the last two minutes we have, thank you so much for all you've been sharing and all that you've been doing. With the last two minutes, uh, in your book, you talked about the local church and an emphasis on the mm-hmm. local church for ministering to people. Uh, how, give a word to the pastors out there or just people, Christians, you know, as part of the local church. How do we interact with our culture right now, especially around this topic uh, of, of sexuality? Yeah, and, and the reason why I wanted to uh, put an emphasis in, in a whole chapter on the local church is because I think there's sometimes a tendency when we're addressing particular issues um, as Christians that we kind of make the church, the body of Christ, an afterthought. And, and I've mm. kind of, and I'll, I'll even admit, I was guilty of that years ago as, as a speaker. It's really easy for an itinerant speaker in ministry to sort of make the local church an afterthought. But if we say we love Christ, we can't really love Christ if we're not loving the body of Christ. So I wanted to bring the church back into the conversation, because if if the answer is sanctification, then what's the best context for sanctification to occur? The body of Christ. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to bring that up, and that's really important, especially for those in ministry, those that are church leaders, and those that just are Christians, that, uh, like, what I need most is not just an expert on this issue to help me, to who knows exactly what I'm going through. What I need most, and what I need most is not just, a, like, a, a best friend who can just, you know, walk with me, and those mm-hmm. are good things, mm-hmm. but what I need is the body of Christ and all its wonderful, beautiful diversity of age, of race, of different, you know, coming to Christ at different times. I mean, that's that's what we need. I don't need someone just like me. Heaven forbid. I mean, <laughs> that would be boring. Like, if, if the church was made up of all people like me, right. that would not be good. We need people that are different. I need someone who's who's also wrestling with their sin nature, but maybe not exactly the same thing that I'm going through. And but I think that's really important. And when sometimes, and, and people will admit, they said, I don't know, I, I don't wrestle with same such attraction, so I don't know how to help this friend that just shared with me. And I want to remind people, 
We don't have to know exactly what it's like to struggle with a particular sin to help another who's wrestling or struggling with that same thing. Mm. Like, I mean, Brian, you don't, do you need to shoot up with heroin to help a heroin addict? You know, do you have to commit adultery to help an adulteress? Of course not. Right, right. But why then all of a sudden, for this particular sin, we feel like we're, we're inept, unable to help someone. And I tell people, man, if you are a Christian, you know Jesus, if you had any victory over your sin, mm. you can help another sinner. When someone comes to you in the time of need, they actually don't need an expert. What they need is a friend. Mm, that's you a, can be that friend. That's a really that's great so word to end on. Thank you so much. Again, the book uh, is Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Sex, Desire, and Relationship Shaped by God's Grand Story. Such an important book uh, for our time right now, increasingly. That author uh, is Dr. Christopher Yuan. He, you can find him at ChristopherYuan.com and also on Twitter at Christopher Yuan. Chris, thanks so much. It is so great to talk to you. Thanks for spending time with us today. Uh, thanks, Brian and Aubrey. Have a, have a great day. God you, bless too. you too. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. This episode is a rebroadcast of The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Before I tell you what the top five list of the day is going to be, we need to listen to our awesome top five open. Top five, top five, top five, top five, top five things with Brian and Aubrey. Fabulous. Fabulous. I I can't get enough of it. I love it. Top five things. We are talking top five summer Olympic sports that we would want to compete in. And the idea here is that if you and I were just incredible Olympic level athletes. So we're close. I mean, we're basically there. (laughs) All things being equal, we could jump into whatever sport we wanted to and compete at an Olympic level. What summer Olympic events would we compete in? And one thing we've done here is uh, we've eliminated like the regular major sports. No basketball. No basketball. No baseball. No no baseball. Stuff that, you know, you would normally, otherwise, that's what this is going to be. This is like. Sports that you're only watching once every four years yeah. at the Olympics. Yeah. All right. So you have yours, Brian. You I got did. five. This one was a little difficult, but yes. I, I went a little, You and I both looked up a list of all of the uh, Olympic sports. Yeah, we so. had to look them up because we weren't 100% sure. I mean, otherwise, you're doing like three track and field. I might have three track and field done here, actually, <laughs> but you're doing a bunch of track and fields, a couple swimming and calling it a day. But yep. no, we got some others. We got some good ones. All right. Are You want to start with your number five? I will gladly. Okay. Uh, and I don't have an honorable mention, so we'll need to remember okay. that. All right. My number five, and I got into watching this at the last Olympics. Yeah. And I will, have not watched it since, but I guarantee you I will watch it at this coming Olympics. This is a team sport known as Team Handball. Oh, Team Handball! Team Handball. Have That's, you ever watched it? So it's literally like uh, almost like racquetball, but you have your hand instead of a racket. Is that right? A hundred percent wrong. <laughs> Yes. Clearly, I've never watched it. it. Is, <laughs> what is it? A, it's a team. So okay, okay. No longer one. So hence by team handball. Okay. But well, it's on like a basketball court. No. And they dribble and they throw. Stop. And you're, you're Literally had no idea what the sport was. It's kind okay. of a mix between like basketball, soccer, 
But yes, you described okay. you described volleyball. I described volleyball. Apparently, every group all made her top <laughs> five list right well, there. Well, that should be an Olympic sport. Okay, so yours was handball, which clearly I need to learn Team more about. Handball. Team handball. You need to Google it when we're done here today. Oh, we'll do that. I clearly had that wrong. Okay, my number five is equestrian. <laughs> Of course it is. I want to get on a horse. I'm going to jump over some... If I'm so athletic, I'm like the super athlete, I'm going to... I'm going to jump on a horse, a horse, and I'm going to jump over jumps. Okay. Yep, that's fine. All right, number four. Number four is going to surprise you a little bit. Oh, is it? I think so. It's my, the first of my track and field. You'll see there's nothing in, that involves a pool in any of my five. Really? I'm shocked. Nope. Okay, all right. Number four. I'd like to throw the javelin. <laughs> I can see you dominating that. I would like to throw the javelin. <laughs> yeah. Not the heavy, you know, not the shot put. Yes. Not the hammer throw. I want to go javelin. That thing yeah. goes far. It every now and then <laughs> gorges, gorges somebody, whatever. But, you know. You do. You want to gorge. Do you think you, okay, with the javelin, you take a running start and you fling it. What's your method? Or oh, do you no, just like. I would, I, would go, I would go standard method. But, okay, man, it's, okay. it's impressive because there's a very specific way to hold that. I'm going, I'm on team javelin. Javelin. For the, uh, that's the field portion of the track and field I event. Like I like that. You're covering various bases oh, here. I'm that's have good. I'm going to one more field portion coming okay. up, I'll tell you that. All right. My number four is trampolining. Yeah, I saw you. I saw you searching. I, <laughs> you and I looked at the same list and I went, she's going to choose trampolining. Yeah. Go ahead and explain trampolining, please. So you get a <laughs> trampoline and you jump and you do flips and things like that. And so that's what I would do. They have turned the sky zone into an Olympic sport. That's that feels. That's exactly right. Yep, trampolining is my number four. Okay, number three for you, Brian. Number three is this is my other team sport that oh, I put in here. I went with and and let me know if I need to explain the sport to you so that you understand it. You I went probably with, uh, will. I went with beach volleyball. Oh, beach volleyball! I've heard of it. <laughs> There's a beach. <laughs> There's a volleyball. I I always think that I love watching beach volleyball. And yeah, like, you know. Uh, and you're uh, like at the ocean, the exactly, setting's nice. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Now, beach volleyball on a trampoline might have been it. We could have oh, played together, but that would have been no. amazing. Yep, yep. Wow. Mine are all individual sports. I wonder what that says about me. The next me. two of mine are going to be individual okay. sports. All right. My number three is artistic swimming. <laughs> that is that is an event in the Olympics, and I'm, I'm, and I'm it's, going to regret this question. Yeah. How is that different than synchronized swimming? So I actually don't know, and I wonder if it's the same thing. But I think you, you know, you do things artistically. You dance while you're swimming. I feel like I could compete in this right now. So this is your third biggest <laughs> dream for Olympic sports, but you just acknowledged. I don't really know what it is. It sounds swimming. really good, though. Artistic swimming it sounds amazing. Maybe artistic swimming is individual. Synchronized swimming is team. Because obviously so, you need someone yeah. to synchronize with. Right. So in this one, you just get you wear a costume. You jump in the water. <laughs> You, you dance. Do you wear a costume? I will in my event. I will. I'm gonna. Do you? I'm gonna dress like a mermaid. <laughs> Long hair, mermaid tail. Do some artistic moves. All right. Number two, Brian. What's yours? All right. This is uh, my next one out of the field of the track and field. Okay. The pole vault. Oh, that's what you would do. I would love to be able to. I mean, that is why un- the pole vault because it's just unbelievable. You're they're running so fast. And then they can go so high. Yeah. Like it's 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 one of those where you don't really know physically how it even happens. Like right, it takes a little bit a of physics point. there. Yeah, when that's in slow motion. There's a point where you're like, 
How in the world does it? And then like, they how do aren't it. they falling backwards? That's right. That's right. So I, I'm going with the pole vault. All right, that's very impressive. I hope I see you pole vaulting one day. Okay, uh, my number two is actually a new event at this year's Olympics. Not one of the old, not one of the old conventional ones no. like trampolining or artistic <laughs> swimming. Exactly. I'm going. <laughs> I'm breaking the mold here with this one. I think I would be really fantastic at surfing. Everybody's gone surfing, surfing USA. A, I know you would not. Uh, but B, or two, I just said one and B again. I've seen Breakpoint with Keanu Reeves. I would be really good at surfing, Brian. Uh, let's pause again and <laughs> ask you again for the name of that movie. <laughs> Point break. Point Thank break. <laughs> All right, what were you going to say? I'm such a good surfer. I've seen Breakpoint with, uh, with Keanu Reeves, you know? With that Reeves fella. Yeah. I just love that you went, I would go with one of the newer ones. Like there was trampolining right. at the ancient Greek games. You know, they're bouncing around. <laughs> it's been around a while. Do you have any honorable mentions before we do our number one? You know, sadly, I really don't. Although I will, maybe I will throw in one. Because there was one I was thinking about for number one, and I went a different direction. I was thinking another new event, skateboarding. Ah. That would be pretty fun. So I thought of the one honorable mention, the only, the first one I would do if I was doing anything in a pool. Okay. Okay. Now it seems terrifying, but you've already said you're good at it. Yes. So you are, good you're at good at it. it. I think diving is pretty <gasps> unbelievable. Ooh, like high, those high dive. Sure. Yeah. If that's I knew terrifying. I was good at it, but I find those terrifying yeah. to even watch. So, uh, yeah. All right. All right. Number one. Number one. I'm going old school. It is the, like the most classic of all Olympic sports in the summer. Okay. Hold on. Let me think about what it might be. Okay, let's see if they match with what I have in mind. The hundred meter, it's the oh. dash. It oh, is, it is oh, the sure. It yeah. is. It is genuinely the person who wins the hundred meter for all of history has been called the fastest person in the world. You got to compete at that. Exactly. Like yeah. right now, if I ran the hundred meter, I'd be at twenty meters when they finish <laughs> at best. But you've already said I'm Olympic level yes. athlete here. Yes, that's our understanding of so this. So if I were an Olympic level athlete, I would choose the hundred meters. Wow, I feel like you took this a lot more seriously than I did because here's my number one. That's similar to the one hundred meter dash. The two hundred meters. <laughs> <laughs> it is a BMX freestyle racing. <laughs> I'm gonna get on my bike. I'm gonna freestyle. I'm gonna do some jumps, some so flips. So you've you've now you've artistically swam. Yes. You've jumped on a trampoline. Yes. You've skateboarded. Yes. You've possibly surfed. Definitely. And what was the one I'm missing? Oh, and uh, equestrian. A yeah. You're like a 12 year old. <laughs> that's accurate. Yeah. yeah Can we yeah. go to Sky Zone? Can we yes, ride a horse? Can I get true. a skateboard? Can I go mom? on a bike ride and, yes. and like Can do cool tricks, ride? mom? Yep. I love the, the uh, top fives that the you top, put out. There's our great. top five list. We'll put that on social media for you. Tell us what you would compete in if you could in the Summer Olympics or just something you like watching. Uh, Brian, maybe one day you and I will come up with a synchronized swim routine. Put it on TikTok, and that's how our TikTok celebrity will begin. It's never going to happen. Not going to happen. (laughs) Well, stick around because we're uh, going to be talking about one of Brian's favorite gentlemen. Friend of the show. Friend of the show, Pastor Scott Sauls, has written a very cool article about Eugene Peterson, Bono of U2, and a lot of wisdom there. We'll be talking about that next on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. This episode is a rebroadcast of The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. 
Coming up this hour, we're joined by Dr. Peace Amadi, the author of a new book called Why Do I Feel Like This? Understand Your Difficult Emotions and Find Grace to Move Through. You're listening to The Common Good. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. I'm Aubrey Sampson here with my amazing co-host, Brian Fromm. And we are talking about a really interesting, really interesting conversation that friend of the show, Scott Sauls, wrote about. It was a conversation between Eugene Peterson, the author of The Message Translation of the Bible. Eugene passed away maybe a year ago, year and a half ago now. And um, a little rock star named Bono. Mm, heard of him. Heard of him. Lead singer of U2. Paul Houston is his re- actual name. From Ireland, because I'm a U2 fan. I know that. What's your favorite U2 album? Uh, Joshua Tree. I'm yeah. kind of old school. What about you? I would agree. Although, there, I think I probably listened to the most U2 during, uh, what was the album? Was was the whole album called One? Or which, what was One oh, on? Oh, that's such a good song. Uh, yeah, whatever album that's on. And I don't know if that's the name of the album or if it's just on that album. But anyway, we yeah. digress. Yes, we digress. U2 is a good band. Anyway, so so this is the... <laughs> this wrapping is, it up. Wrapping it up. Go buy U2's music. Okay, so Scott Sauls is telling this, telling this really interesting story where Bono wanted to sit down with Eugene Peterson, mm-hmm. and Eugene Peterson said no. And... um. The interviewer said, how could you have possibly said no to meeting with Bono? And at the time, Eugene Peterson was working on the translation of Isaiah for the Message Bible. And the person said, this is the interviewer said, this is Bono we're talking about, for goodness sake. And Eugene Peterson humbly responded to the interview. But this is Isaiah we're talking about. (laughs) I just love that. Brian, tell me what you thought about this article. I just thought that was there. Saul's gets into so much about like reflecting upon it. But Eugene Peterson, like you said, he wrote the message translation. Uh, Also, that quote that we use all the time, a long obedience in the same direction, Mm -hmm. like Eugene Peterson. Uh, there was so much to him. Obviously, he has since passed away. But Sauls takes this story uh, to then move on and reflect upon uh, what would it be like for us to live with this posture? What would it actually be like for mm. us to live with a posture that says, I don't need the affirmation of a rock star or I don't right. need the affirmation of um, whatever else it might be, but to be secure yeah. in who we are. Yeah, one of the things that he talks about, this Scott Sauls talks about, is what struck me most. There's a video of Bono and Eugene getting together, how free Eugene was to relate to Bono as a valued fellow carrier of the image of God and fellow wrestler, instead of relating to him as an untouchable, world-famous star of the stage. There was no fawning, no getting tongue-tied, no nervousness, no intimidation, only kindness and attentiveness in the exchange between the two flawed, fearfully and wonderfully made Humans And what Scott, what Scott is saying is that because Eugene was so secure in his identity in Christ mm-hmm. that he didn't need approval from this other person or he didn't even get really shaken by this other person because he knew who he was in Jesus. And I feel like for all of us, this is a really good word. I and mean, we're not obviously meeting with rock stars consistently, but whoever's approval you need or maybe whatever it is you think you need to achieve in order to have God's approval. The word here for all of us is no, like we are so loved by our father. We have enough. We are blessed. We are sons and daughters and therefore we are secure and don't need to sort of, um, 
fall by the whims of the the quote unquote rock stars right. in our lives. That's right. And I did like. I, I think we had some audio. I did like the beginning of this when uh, you get a glimpse in the Bono because you think about these. We're using rock stars, yeah, athletes, celebrities, yeah. whatever else it might be. You think of them as like always, like you must meet with me. You must. Uh, and there's a humbleness of like what you forget is Eugene Peterson's writings had such an profound impact on Bono. There you go. He was almost looking at, at Peterson the way most people probably look at Bono. Listen to, listen to what Bono said here. Mr. Peterson, uh, Eugene, um, my name is Bono. I'm a singer with uh, the group U2 and wanted to sort of video message you my thanks and our thanks and the band for this remarkable work you've done. There's been some great translations, some very literary translations, but no translation that I've read that um, speaks to me in my own language. So I want to thank you for that. Uh, take a rest now, won't you? Bye. So again, I, I found that to yeah. be just uh, heartwarming. Like you listen to me, he's like, oh, Mr. Peterson, this is Bono. <laughs> and, and just like, go and get some rest now. Thank you for all you do. Like you, yes. you kind of don't expect that from someone no. of his stature, but I love the humility and I, and I love, I love what you said that almost like Peterson was a rock star. To him. To him. That's yeah. Right. That's yeah. Right. So Saul's, I do appreciate because then he's like, let me make the point here and, and listen to what Saul says. He says, put another way, the love of God, when believed and received, frees us from any need to be noticed, to make a name for ourselves, to find significance through achievement and advancement, or from having access to fame and fortune. Mm. We already have these gifts and these blessings in abundance, in infinite supply from the Father who is not blind to our value, but who sees us and loves us deeply. Uh, dearly, you said, I read that quote yeah. to you before as we were discussing this, and you kind of said, I need that every day. I'm, I need that. I, Talk to me about I, that. Yeah, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm going to copy and paste this onto something and then like print it out or tattoo it on myself. You know, I think just the way I'm wired, I tend to want approval from others. And we all do in some ways, right? I tend to want, I tend to think I need to find significance through achievements. Therefore, I tend to run my wheels mm-hmm. a lot, doing a lot of different things. And so just to be reminded, like, it's almost like just be at rest, oh, my soul, for the Lord has mm. been good to you. Like, you already have approval. You already have what you need in Christ. You don't have to earn. You don't have to strive. You don't have to hustle. You don't have to make a name for yourself. And I, I'm not out here trying to make a name for myself, but certainly that temptation is there to, like, feel like I have to do something significant or else I, I won't matter in this world. And so this is a reminder, I think, that, like, the I think later Saul says, "Hey, the real rock star is Jesus." Yes. And so we uh, this is what he says. Let's take comfort in this reality. We are pursued, seen, and infinitely loved by a star who is even bigger, much bigger than rock stars. And that's something even a rock star can be glad about. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's just it's such a good reminder. It really you is. Know? Yeah, I love how he says because there's a freedom in Peterson here where he says, well, I could meet with Bono or I could still study Isaiah. I could work on Isaiah. And he goes, that's the better thing. And I, I you know, I think the reason we wanted to highlight this is because it's so unbelievable. Yeah. You're just like, man. Uh, but the, in this, I think what Peterson's showing us and Saul's is bringing out is where do we find our identity and our security? Yeah, that's Like, good. is it in making a name for yourself, as you said? Is it in what other people say about me? Is it in just the accolades 
I can. And that's, yeah. that's a that's a roller coaster ride that's uh. difficult to live. And Peterson seems to be able to have lived out really well. And Saul's talks about here is, you know what? I'm loved by God. I'm a child of God in Christ. Uh, yeah, meeting a rock star would be cool, but right. it's, it doesn't change my life. Yes. It doesn't change anything about It doesn't about give me significance me. or value yeah, or and, whatever. And I think all of us need to, again, look in the mirror and go, do I, do I believe that? Do, mm. Is that good enough for me? Do you, Brian, you've talked before about uh, somewhat, uh, people pleaser may be the word you've used. I've used that many times. Yeah. Yes. So uh, in one sense, this is a similar plight, right? Mm-hmm. That you want to please everyone. And so what do you do when you feel that instinct in your own heart, when all of a sudden you recognize that you're like, oh, I'm after people's approval again? Like, what do you just kind of, how do you handle that? Uh, that's a great question. Not not usually well. Yeah. But, but I usually then just need to um, step away from that situation. I need to go... Um, you know, get by myself, to be honest with you, kind of what Peterson did here and just and get out of the situation where I feel myself yeah. like, oh, I need to please blah, blah, blah. Uh, my wife is a good um, a mirror in this mm, to me. Like, nice. hey, what's that all about? Yeah. And, and so also to be challenged, to have people who will ask me those questions. But I would say That's I don't good. necessarily have it. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. It, it certainly is an invitation to go back to God. And I think just so, Lord, here I am again, striving, hustling, wanting someone's approval. I'm going to surrender that to you and ask for you to transform me. And because mm-hmm. God is so good, like Saul says here, he will do that. He is faithful. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Dr. Peace Amati. Uh, she's the author of a new book called Why Do I Feel Like This? Understand Your Difficult Emotions and Find Grace to Move Through. Dr. Peace Amati is going to join us next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. And Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by the author of a new book called Why Do I Feel Like This? Understand Your Difficult Emotions and Find Grace to Move Through. That author is Dr. Peace Amade. Peace, how are you doing today? I am doing well, living my best life in Southern California right now. Oh, we're so, we're so, we told you off air, we're so jealous of say, you. After you said that, we're just going to say, hey, thanks for joining us today, and then away we go. So, uh, well, just wanted to rub that in a little bit. We, thank you for that, Dr. Amadi. Well, you know, some of, us just like, some of us just like humidity and heat and cold and, you know, all the like. So, uh, Peace, before we jump into your book, which just looks wonderful, it looks phenomenal, before we do that, could you introduce introduce yourself to our audience so they can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, well, like you said, my name is Peace Amati. So I guess professionally, Dr. Peace Amati, but I go by Peace. You know, we're all friends here. Oh, good. Um, and <laughs> I, um, by day, I am a psychology professor, um, but by afternoon and the rest of my day, I'm a writer and a coach and obviously the author of a new book. And I do a couple other things, but I like to say that what sort of my central mission is to help people heal Mm. um, and lead. And I find that the more that people are in touch with their healing journey and pursuing their healing healing journey, um, the more equipped, the more effective they are as leaders. So that's my whole spiel. Love Um, it. Thank you for asking that. Oh, it sounds like such a good mission. Again, we, we said before, Brian and I are both pastors, and obviously you're in leadership, and we all need health in leadership for sure. So I love that you're doing what you're doing. 
Um, Peace, mm-hmm. the name of your book is Why Do I Feel Like This? Understand your difficult moments and find grace to move through. Can you give us sort of a bird's eye view of why you wrote the book and what it's about? Absolutely. So, first of all, um, why do I feel like this? If you think about it as a question, we're always asking ourselves, yeah. right? Um, why am I Why am I feeling like this? Or why am I still feeling like mm-hmm. this? Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've worked with a lot of young women and um, get a lot of questions, particularly about things like heartbreak and heartache. And, you know, they'll come to me like, why am I still feeling so hurt about this? Why am I still so depressed about this? And so, you know, I've been kind of, I've been attuned to the fact that this is a question that so many of us are asking about some of our more difficult emotions and felt like there was definitely room to, to share, you know, my wisdom, my insight, my expertise, even my own personal journey as to helping people understand why we feel some of the most difficult things we feel. Mm. And in the book, I, you know, I break down seven different of our most difficult emotions from anxiety to depression to discouragement to envy to shame to hurt and trauma. Wow. And just felt like, you know, this, I wanted to provide a resource so that people would, one, understand that they are normal for feeling what they feel, mm. um, however ugly it may seem and however long it may feel like you're feeling it. And I wanted people to go to, to move from feeling any kind of, you know, shame or embarrassment mm-hmm. about, around some of these emotions and really look at emotions. Here's my big thing. Really look at emotions as our advocate. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, we, you know, we've gotten messages, messages along the way, whether it be from our church, our family, our culture, society, whatever, that what we feel is bad. And I, I'd, I'd rather, I'm inviting people to not look at emotions that way and look at them as simply these advocates, these friends of ours that God has designed that are trying to tell us something about what it is we need, mm. what it is we're missing, what it is that's going unfulfilled. And if we begin to look at our emotions like that mm. as our advocates for our healing, um, as our friends, then we're going to get a lot closer to that wholeness I know that we're all seeking. That's good. And, and Peace, what you talked about shame. What happens in our lives? Help people understand when we are dominated by shame, when those emotions lead to shame. What What is kind of the result in our life? What are our lives going to look like then? Yeah, I love that question because um, I remember going back and forth with whether I was going to include a, a shame chapter because I don't know that a lot of people recognize that they're dealing with shame. Right. And so I decided, yes, I'm going to write this chapter and I'm going to start with a conversation about how shame manifests um, in our lives. Um, so some of the ways that looks like, some of the ways shame shows up would be through people pleasing or um, perfectionism or difficulty, you know, taking responsibility for things and saying I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, or losing yourself in busy work, hiding out, you know, whether it be, um, you know, literally just in your house all day or uh, Netflix or Hulu or, you know, Amazon Prime. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I lose Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so true. You know, <laughs> 
But, you know, shame, just, you know, as a spoiler alert, shame is kind of this belief that we're not always aware that, you know, something's fundamentally wrong mm. with us. And, you know, we can get into, like, theological debate about whether we're good or we're bad or whatever, whatever, whatever. But I, 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 I personally do not believe that it's God's desire that we feel like we are worthless, right? That yeah. we are... Yeah. Um, you know, just fundamentally just wrong, right? you know, I mean, yes, we all fall short of the glory of God, but there's goodness, you know, in yes. us. Like God literally created us in his first words where this is good, right? right. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, That's right. but um, shame is the opposite of that. Shame mm-hmm. is believing like, you know, you're no good, you're mm-hmm. nothing, and that just looks, it shows up in our lives in so many different ways, um, some of the ones I just mentioned, and that's where I start because I want to open people's eyes to how they could be struggling with this and not even realize that they are. So part of your work is just getting people to acknowledge, oh, this is shame I'm feeling. Um, for the listener who who maybe right now just heard that and they're recognizing that, oh, wait, that's because I feel shame or that's because I'm trying to achieve that, you know, overcompensate for feeling like I'm not enough or whatever. What kind of words of wisdom would you say to that person? Yeah. I would say, um, first of all, I'm I'm happy to hear that you're starting to acknowledge that because that's a big deal, you know, in and of itself. Like you just said, a lot of people, and like I just said, a lot of people just don't realize yeah. um, that that's what's going on. And the second thing I would immediately say is, you know, that is all of us. You know, yeah. we're all, you know, we we've, we again, we've all been fed messages and we've all kind of, are just living life the best we can. And, you know, like Maya Angelou says, you know, when we, I'm paraphrasing, when we do, when we know better, we do better. Mm. And so as you're beginning to acknowledge, oh, there may be something deeper going on here. I, I celebrate that. And I say, uh, and I, I um, want you to know that that's normal and it's, and it's beautiful. Um, because again, the more we learn about ourselves, we, the more we learn about what, you know, really at the at the core of our pain and our difficulties mm-hmm. and our patterns that we keep going back to, that we say we're never going to go back to, you know, we're all in this same boat. But the more that we learn um, in community and in God's love, the better we do and the more that wholeness, you know, is, is um, accessible. Yeah, it's yeah, good. So good. Again, Dr. Peace Amadi is the author of a new book called Why Do I Feel Like This? Understand your difficult emotions and find grace to move through. So glad to have you stay with us. And in the introduction of your book, I just loved you. Tell a story about hearing Chris Tomlin's Good, Good Father. A lot of us know that song. It was all over the radio. You know, churches were singing it. Could you just tell that story? I found that story to be really helpful. <laughs> yeah, Um Let's see. So, um, first of all, that is, it is one of my favorite songs. But I was sharing in the book that, um, well, let me share this part of it. I, I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful that that song has the lyrics that it has. Yeah. You know, I, you know, you're a good, good father and I'm loved by you. And that being, you know, what he chooses to write and sing about us as humans, yeah. like being loved. I love you know, of all the messages that we're told, you know, by society, by family, by culture, whatever, about who we are. Um, I love, you know, thinking that loved is the most important mm-hmm. thing about that, being God's beloved. Yeah. And I was making a joke that I was grateful that that was 
the lyric <laughs> because we can say so many other things about who we are. <laughs> right. Um, and, and if this song, you know, if this song was written like super realistically and pragmatic, <laughs> pragmatically, <laughs> it would be like, you know, and I'm, I, you know, you're a good, good father and I'm, you know, greedy and selfish and desperate and clingy and yeah. need help. Oh, that's and, you good. Know, but yep. thank God that's not the song. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Oh, yeah. I love that. I'm needy. I'm greedy. I mean, really, that would be a very entertaining worship song, but it's good. <laughs> it's good. He reminds us that we are loved. We appreciate that you're doing that as well in all of your work, Dr. Amadi. Um, I want to transition just a little bit. Because you're the founder of something called Influencing Well. You're a speaker, you're a TV host, you're a coach, you're all kinds of things, a professor like we talked about. But you also have started Influencing Well. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, so that is my newer um, wellness-centered company. And like I mentioned um, in, the, in the last bit, my, my whole thing, what I feel like I've been called to is to helping people um, heal and lead. So I've always been very... I've always been very drawn to leaders and the process of leadership, growing them, you know, helping people see the, the leader in them and helping them like walk fully in the purpose God has called them to, you know, and being equipped to be all that they could be. Mm. Um, but what I've realized walking this process myself and being a mentor and a coach to, to other emerging leaders is that we can be, um, really good leaders or think we are and be really, really struggling mentally, emotionally, mm-hmm. relationally. Yeah. And, and I just don't think that's what, I mean, that's not what God has for us. And I, I do think we sell ourselves short in our leadership. We undercut our leadership when we're not doing well internally. Mm-hmm. So influencing well, the goal of that is to um, create uh, products, uh, courses, workshops, you know, I'm still building the library and all of that so that influencers, leaders, entrepreneurs, um, you know, wherever you fit in that sphere, are you're influencing well, you know, as a leader, but also while being well. Mm, and so good. that's the whole goal. We can, we can do those things together. We should strive to be well inside as we, you know, strive to lead well. I love that. Uh, and peace from your book. Uh, I wonder, you talk about getting overwhelmed by all sorts of difficult emotions. Could you maybe, uh, what, what's the first step for the person out there listening who does feel overwhelmed right now? What would you encourage for them? Uh, what do they do? I, I Let me give them the first step. Go pick up your book. But, but <laughs> what, would, what would a step be that you would tell them, hey, here's kind of a change of course. Here's what you can do if you're feeling overwhelmed right now. Yeah, so um, that's a it's a great question, and you know you're right. A lot of people feel overwhelmed by their feelings. I know I do um, often. I've always been a very emotional person, a highly sensitive person, mm. and so I feel like I you know often um, have potential to kind of drown in my own stuff. And yeah. what's been really helpful is to first to slow down. Well, let me back that up first. You know, I'm big on validating. It's, this is not abnormal. A lot of people are kind of in this boat with like, oh my gosh, like this is just so much. I don't, I don't even know, you know, my next step. Yeah. But I would encourage to slow down. And um, one thing that's really been helpful personally for me is actually either journaling, if you're into that, or um, talk, speaking whatever it is that you're feeling out loud. Literally mm-hmm. just taking a moment to get 
whatever it is you're feeling outside of your head. Hmm. Because what the brain is trying to do is sort of make sense of whatever your experience is. And the more you can help your brain make sense of whatever it is you're feeling, the more your brain will actually help you figure out the solution, whatever that solution needs to be. So it's super important to either write it down in a journal. Um, It starts to clarify in that process. If you're not into that, take a walk. Literally Mm -hmm. talk to yourself. You know, okay, I'm feeling like this. You know, or or this happened, and I think this is making me feel like this. Um, Just trying to slow down and, and find words to put to whatever feeling that you're feeling or whatever thoughts that you're having is a really great start um, for coming down from that overwhelm. Your brain will start to work with you to figure out the next step. Oh, I love that. Such good practical handholds for our listeners. And Dr. Madu, I think we told you before, Brian and I are both pastors. You're obviously in ministry leadership. How do you think the church can do better at supporting those struggling with mental health? Mm-hmm. Oof, this is the question. <laughs> I'm very, very passionate about this. I did write a whole chapter on something called spiritual bypassing, which is where we or others sort of use, you know, Christian platitudes, you know, oversimplified statements um, to sort of dismiss and disregard someone's emotional being or mm. emotional struggle. And this may not be intentional. This happens probably more likely inadvertently, but the thing is is that it does happen. I do share a story, one example of how it happened to me where I was like, this this was not helpful. I think churches, spiritual leaders in general need to realize that um, some of the things that we were taught to say during someone's pain, during someone's struggle, um, isn't always, isn't often the best thing to say in the moment, mm-hmm. what you want to really focus, what you really want to realize as a church, as a spiritual leader, is that people need to be acknowledged in their pain. They need to be validated in their pain. They need to feel like you're not trying to run over them with some super, you know, easy, quick fix of a solution because realistically, none of that stuff works. Yeah. And so when something doesn't work, if, if I'm really struggling in the throes, if I'm really in the grips of anxiety, and the only thing you're telling me is just let go, let God, or is that it? Yes, yes, Right, You know, um, I get it. I get where that comes from. I get, I think I get the heart that that comes from. But if you're telling that to someone who's in the grips of anxiety, in the grips of worry, and genuinely has a reason to be worrying or anxious, yeah. again, I, in the book I get, into why we feel those things and then they're not able to just let go Mm. and let God. Now we have someone who feels ashamed of what they feel. Mm. Now we have someone who's, you know, wondering what's wrong with them. Like, why can't this, you know, why can't I just snap out of this? Now you have someone who's probably going to grow a little bit more resentful towards that spiritual leader or that church because they're telling some, telling them something that does not work. Right. Right. And then it starts to feel even, um, it it, it starts to feel even oppressive to Mm -hmm. a degree because it's like, I'm, I'm literally in pain here and what you're telling me isn't working. And you know what? This is hard work. Churches, spiritual leaders may not always have, the right words to say, but it's not about the words to say. It's about being 
with. That's good. It's about being with, right? It's about acknowledging this is painful. This is hard. I can understand why you would worry. It's about, you know, acknowledging. It's about validating. It's about presence. It's about saying, I don't have all the right words to say right now, but I'm going to stay here with you in this pain. That's literally, you know, what, like the best thing we could do and probably far more simpler than mm-hmm. having the right things to mm-hmm. say. But sometimes we miss that and we don't realize how much damage that can do for a person's journey. So wow. I'm, just, I'm just encouraging people just to be present, acknowledge more, validate more, show up more, be with more. Love that. Um, there'll be time to speak into it, but let's start with the being with because pain is hard. Yeah, That's a good word again. That's Dr. P. Samadhi. Uh, She's the author of a new book called Why Do I Feel Like This? Understand Your Difficult Emotions and Find Grace to Move Through. You can learn more about peace at Peace Amadi. That's A-M-A-D-I, peaceamadi.com. And also on Twitter at It's Peace Amadi. Again, that's at It's Peace Amadi. Peace, it's great to meet you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for being here. This has been fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. This episode is a rebroadcast of The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. I'm Aubrey Sampson here with my amazing co-host Brian Fromm, and we're so glad to have you with us. So, Brian, I was watching Good Morning America. You're a big Good Morning America fan, right? Is that the show you want? No. What's I your show? I, I like Good Morning America, so I don't want to. But I what's your morning these, show you watch? I watch the Today Show. You watch the Today Show. Yes. Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb. Those That's are my girls. That's your girls. Those, yeah. are, those are your ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, okay. So I'm sorry about this, but I was watching Good Morning America. I like Good Morning okay. America. You, Michael Strahan. I mean, that's the New York Giants. Yeah. That's my football team. Yeah. So I, I like Good Morning America okay. as well. Okay. All right. So um, they had a little clip on their website with David Crowder, uh, who is, of course, the lead singer in the band that is just called Crowder. And uh, he's talking, I mean, it's kind of funny. He's talking about mental health, but he's also talking about being generous and how we can encourage other people. It's about two minutes of audio, but it's so worthwhile. I wanted everyone to listen to it. So here's what David Crowder says. Hey, what's up? It's Crowder, and I'm excited to share five things I do for my mental health, and I, and I think you'll have a great time uh, giving it a go as well. Firstly, what you can do is get on, get on your phone, get on the app, send somebody some donuts. Every, people love donuts. If you had a donut, they're wonderful. But then you, you get to know that you're not the one eating the donuts, and you feel wonderful about yourself, and your friend feels fantastic because donuts magically arrived. It's, it's incredible. Another thing you can do that's kind of crazy, but write, like handwrite a letter and send it to somebody. First of all, you're going to pick up a pen and be like, how do I use this? It's been a while. You'll reintroduce yourself to penmanship, and somebody's going to get a letter. You're going to figure out what stamps cost now. You know, who knows? Like, you know, are they $100? I don't know. How many stamps? Put more on than you think you you need. That's what what I do. Another thing you can do is call somebody you haven't talked to in a while. Um, You know, you just go through your phone and be like, ah, haven't hit up so-and-so. You're going to wind up catching up on stuff and you feel kind of you hang up and you're like, man, my day's better. I haven't talked to that person in, in forever. Or just call your mom. That, that works as well. Do this. 
I have my eye on some sneakers. I've been looking at these sneakers for a long time. I'm like, man, I really want these sneakers. So I bought the sneakers. And then I sent them to a friend. Like, denied myself. It was incredible. It feels so good. And your friend's like, what's this for? And you're like, I don't know. I really wanted some sneakers. And I thought you needed them more than me. I want to see them on you. And when they show up and they're on your sneakers, you're like, man, it's great not to covet at all. Fifth thing I love to do is help somebody out in the yard. Like if you see your neighbor doing some yard work, maybe they're trimming their hedges, maybe they're washing their car, you know? Give them a holler, say, hey, want me to help out? For me, I got a super into power washing my driveway. Love power washing my driveway. Or the leaf blower, pop over to your neighbors and give a hand, and it's a great way to get to know folks that are living right next to you, as well as, uh, you know, helping, helping a friend out. So those are my five things I've been up to making sure that my mental health is on par with what's good and positive in life. And I hope this is helpful. So that's David Crowder on Good Morning America telling us to buy donuts for everybody. What do you think about that, Brian? It reminds me of uh, what, what keeps happening to me in drive through lines, right? Of people oh. buying for me. Uh, that's not happened with donuts yet, but with drinks. Uh, no, I love, first of all, David Crowder is such a unique individual. Yeah. And besides loving his music. What did we learn the other day? He took a surfboard from Eddie Vedder or that something. <laughs> so amazing. Yes. Uh, but he's getting at, not surprisingly, a biblical principle here yeah. that, that oftentimes, uh, when we think of our own mental health, our own contentment, our own joy, that, that, uh, the backwards nature of it is actually uh, that the best way, the best avenue towards those things is in giving. It is in being generous. It's not in hoarding. It's not in getting more. Mm-hmm. There's not anything, uh, you know, fundamentally wrong with getting more nice stuff or doing something for yourself or whatever else. That's not the point here. Um, but the idea, we see it throughout scripture and David Crowder here is talking about it, about things like donuts and shoes, but uh, one of the things all of us have to wrestle with in a society that tells us get more, get more, get more mm. is the Bible says, give away more, give away more, give away more. Mm. And those are two very different pathways towards this idea of contentment. And we all have to ask ourselves, what do I actually believe will bring me the greatest amount of contentment. A lot of times when we talk about giving and generosity, we just think of it as almost like martyrdom, right? Like, Oh, I have to do that. (laughs) Totally. In reality, the Bible says, no, that's the most self-serving thing you can do Mm. is to give away is Mm. to that. It will lead to contentment. It will lead to joy. uh, It will lead to these things that the accumulation of wealth and possessions and other things will not bring you. I think what becomes difficult is actually believing that's true to the point. Uh, it's what we talked about with uh, what was her name? Uh, Jeff Bezos's ex-wife. Yesterday. Right, right. Uh, it's what we talked about with her giving away billions of dollars. It's the question is what like ask it in the most self-serving way. What is actually going to bring me the greatest amount of contentment and joy? Hmm. And the answer biblically is generosity. And that's a really backwards, hard thing to believe. I know for me, I mean, I I love the moment when Crowder talks about the shoes he really, really, really wanted to buy because I'm kind of a shoe. I love new shoes. And so the fact that he's like, and I bought them and I gave them to someone else. And I feel like that to me is is another way to to sort of consider this conversation. Like if you're saying to yourself, oh, I really, really want the new whatever it is, you know, to go, oh, okay, do I want it enough to buy it for someone else Mm -hmm. and bless them? And then you can make a decision like, 
this will actually encourage another person. Maybe I don't need this thing. Or it could even, even if you, I feel like, realize, oh, I'm not willing to buy it for someone else. It sort of shows you your own selfishness. And then you can kind of go, oh, I probably don't need this thing at all. And again, like you're saying, it's okay to buy yourself donuts and shoes and things like that. But the reality is it's that heart of generosity. It's that heart of blessing other people. It's that heart of not being materialistic, of giving away what God has given you. That ultimately brings the most blessing, like Mm -hmm. you said, Brian. And I do think it's even a conversation about where we find our contentment. Because sometimes for me, you know, like I said, I like shoes. I, I'm a pretty typical woman. I like to shop. And I will sometimes have to stop and go, okay, what's going on in my soul right now? Mm. Is this good because I'm just delighting in good gifts, you know? Or is this like, am I feeling restless? Am I feeling discontent? Am I feeling like God is not providing for me? Am I feeling restless in some part of my life? And therefore, I'm trying to fulfill my those you know emotions through shopping when re- reality says or or uh goodness says i should go to god and ask for his provision i should be thankful for the things i have i just think this is a good sort of posture and attitude and heart check for all of us absolutely and and again for me it comes back to belief uh, to the level of action. Like, mm. do, am I just good at preaching these things and mm. talking about these things? Uh, or do, do we go, you know what? I believe that so deeply that I'm going to look for ways to be generous with my money, with my time, with my, you know, my energy, whatever else it might be. Uh, or is it like something we kind of just talk about in the church and go, yeah, you know, yeah, this is it. And then go to kind of go about living like the rest of the world lives. I think this is kind of one of those rubber meets the road. What do we actually believe brings leads to contentment, leads to joy, leads to quote unquote, the good life for us? Yep, that's good. And so I hope um, when I see you next week, you have donuts for me. I feel like that's yes. the lesson in all of this is that Brian's bringing donuts to the office for I'm all of I'm generous that. with my dad jokes. That is what I'm generous <laughs> with. You are. You're generous with your dad jokes. Well, all right. We hope that encourages you as you head out on your Friday evening. We hope you have a fabulous weekend. We're so thankful that you've been with us today. And we will be back on Monday from 4 to 6 p.m. right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.